This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of Press One for Nick. Your host, Nick Limsdahl, is the Director of Contact Center Solutions at VDS. Through conversations with customer service and customer experience leaders, Nick and his guests exchange insightful stories, best practices, and invaluable lessons they have learned along the way. Hello, and welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. I am excited to introduce you to Leslie Oflehaven. Leslie is the principal and owner of eWrite. eWrite teaches people to write well for online readers, and they offer practical, hands-on courses for corporations, nonprofits, and government clients. She's also a LinkedIn learning instructor on writing in plain English, technical writing, serving customers through chat, text, and social. Leslie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Nick. I'm so happy to be speaking with you today. Yeah, I am excited for today's uh, topic. Uh, the, the main topic will be writing in customer service. Um, however, before we get started, um, I noticed online that you were a freelance writer for the Smithsonian Institution. Um, I, what, I was. what was that like? It was great. I did that <laughs> on and off for several years. And oh my goodness, did I get to see and do amazing things. One of my projects was I wrote a whole set of trading cards uh, on the American presidents and those were sold in the gift shop. But one time before the National Museum of the American Indian was even open, I was on a project and I got to go to the place where they store the Aztec gold. It was a vault and I got to put on white cotton gloves and handle Aztec gold items that were going to be on display because I was writing um, an educational product about those Aztec gold items. So that was a great gig. I loved it. Holy man. How much gold was, was there? Well, the place where I uh, went was in a, a, a curatorial, like a restorative site where they were preparing the gold gold for display. So it was in a vault, you know, with a vault door like in a bank. And by the time we got into the room where the gold was stored, it was stored in uh, trays with with padding and with um, Mm. identifying numbers. And there was just tray after tray. But the only way to react to Aztec gold is like with your jaw dropping, your eyes bugging. It was amazing. And I was holding it. So (laughs) that was so cool. And then I had to write about it. That is so awesome. I, I always try to find little nuggets of, um, of my guests. And, and every time I, I saw the Smithsonian, I was like, man, I really got to ask about that. So mm-hmm. holding gold uh, is, is up there in, in one of the coolest things that a guest has done. May I say that when I left, all the pieces were still there. I didn't, <laughs> there was nothing in my pockets. The metal detectors didn't go off. <laughs> so you didn't do like a, a Mission Impossible where you, you're flying down from the middle of the ceiling? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> There'd be a fail, impossible <laughs> mission. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. So, um, you know, wh- I want to get, get started on um, how did you get started in customer service? Well, I am a lifelong writing teacher. That has been my life's work. Yeah. In, in I have uh, been a writing teacher in many, many different settings, including high school and college. And in about... Um, 
the late 90s, I started, uh, in 1996, I started eWrite. And mm -hmm. most of the writing workshops and the writing training we offered at that time was for corporations, but not for their customer care, customer service teams. And right around, as they say, the turn of the century, mm -hmm. I started to realize that some of the, the people granted rather low paid and low status workers, but some of the people whose work was going under a transformation in terms of writing with customer service agents because they had been exclusively on the telephone and they were writing email. And the switch mm -hmm. from delivering customer service via telephone to email is a difficult one to make. And some, some customer service agents never make the switch. And I have a very power to the people rise up attitude mm -hmm. about writing skills. <laughs> and I think that uh, people deserve their employer's support to develop their writing skills. So the more I learned about frontline customer service agents from those 1-800 numbers being put into email, the more I thought they deserved and needed help. And that's when I started. So my it's 20 years, it's about 20 wow. years I've been delivering writing courses and support for people who communicate with customers via writing. Yeah, well, congratulations. 20 years is it means that you've made it and have succeeded. So indeed, uh, indeed. congrats on that. So why is writing so important uh, when it comes to customer service? Because obviously you saw something that was there and you knew that you found a niche that somebody needed to, to capitalize on. Well, uh, writing is so important in customer service because every channel we've added to the channels where we serve customers with one exception, but every channel we've added in the last 20 years has been a written channel. Yep. So, you know, yes, of course, uh, customer service teams always answered customers' letters, but letters uh, have a, a certain level of predictability, formality, and delay. Mm. So once we started adding cha written channels without delay, <laughs> they were just one after the other. So we started with fax and then we went to email and then we went to live chat. Then we went to social media, which we describe with one term, but it's not just one thing. Yeah. And then we added SMS and it's just, you know, if you have been a, a person serving customers, you have added channels, you know, one every six months, especially recently um, adding automation adding mm. um you know uh, uh chatbot is a written channel it's a written channel so the one exception yeah. is of course video that's not a written channel but it, it draws on written information so mm. that's why mm. yeah no that's i also agree it is um, very important you kind of mentioned uh, multiple channels and in, in a world of instant gratification uh, some of the customers, um, and, and, you know, I may or may not, have, not know people who do this, um, but <laughs> some customers who don't receive the answer that they want in the channel of their choice, in the first channel, they're like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to jump over to the, another channel and hoping for a different answer. And a lot of times they do get uh, a different answer. So how can companies deliver on consistent communication in this omni-channel world? That is an awesome question. I love those customers. They're so wicked. I call them <laughs> dad said no, so I'll ask mom. You know, <laughs> those kinds of customers. It sounds but, like a book right there. Yeah, <laughs> right. It sounds like every Sunday in my household for, for many, many years. But um, the, the, the truth is that companies cause that problem mm. because there's not... Um, 
equal power for agents who answer in different channels or equal cachet. There's, there's a dullness and coolness factor that we have to handle. Email is in, in this day and age, in you know, 2020, email is considered kind of a dull channel and social is considered kind of sparkly. So it's, it's frequently true that um, though we're handling more contacts and handling them more steadily via email, social gets management's attention. You know, mm -hmm. at least the start of the conversation is often public. So there's the risk of embarrassment. So if you're a customer and you get a dull no answer in email, well, of course, you're going to swan on over to social where you feel like uh, you may be able to threaten a little, uh, threaten a little embarrassment for the company. So you'll get a yes answer. And you also know that probably the agents who responded social are going to respond more quickly. And while you may not be able to explain where you sense that the agents in social have a little bit more latitude. They're given a little bit more decision-making authority because things are happening more quickly and the risk of embarrassment is there. But if the company allows How's that? That's on the company. You know, what we need to do is make it as empowered and cool to work in email mm. or postal mail as it is to work in social. And we want the agents to all be drawing from the same knowledge resource. Yeah. And often they aren't. And many companies I work with say, oh, no, no, no. Our email agents must use templates, but our social agents never should. <laughs> right? So yeah. once you set up that split, you're going to get different answers because yeah. the email agents are going to the knowledge base with all its, you know, freshness and staleness mm -hmm. and the social agents are just answering. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. And, yeah. And, and to that, it's so important to not just have them all pull from that knowledge base, to, but to always look at that knowledge base and say, is this what right for the customer? Mm -hmm. Is this right for what we're trying to accomplish to, to achieve our business outcomes? Um, but yeah, I, I completely agree, you know, having that single voice or the single source of truth, which is that knowledge base to pull from. Um, go ahead. What are you gonna say? say management needs to, the, these are sibling channels, you know, hmm. email is the brother and sister of chat and chat is the brother and sister of social yeah. and management needs to love all the children the same. So while you're launching a channel, it's, it's natural for it to get a lot of attention from management. It's sparkly, it's new. So, hey, we're about to launch live chat. But once launched, the channels all need to get the same um, training investment, the same positive attention from management, or, or the answers mm -hmm. will always vary in quality and accuracy. Yeah, no, great point. So, us as consumers, and, and I'll throw myself in there, I'm never going to call into a contact center um, and say, hey, Leslie, I just want to let you know, I'm having a great day, and I hope you do too. We'll talk to you tomorrow, right? They, they call because they're frustrated. They, they, want to, they want to drop some frustration with you. Usually, they, they come over and, and uh, listen to their Rocky music to get all pumped up and say, I'm going to destroy this person uh, and find the, the, my, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my get the, get the man. And, um, you know, so how can you in that moment empathize with your customers through, you know, email or chat or social? Well, sometimes you can empathize sincerely with the customer. You're the customer service agent and the customer, you know, chats in really angry and you're, you, they, they hate the app. 
They're chatting in because they're having a terrible time with the app. You're the agent. You're like, our app. And I do, I empathize with you. I empathize with you. And sometimes they're chatting in and they're furious because you won't make an exception to a policy that's well-known, well-publicized, and you won't. And, And literally, you're the agent. You cannot empathize with that literally. But there's the empathy that comes from the customer service agent sincerely and organically. And then there's the empathy that's performed because the social interaction requires it. So you have to perform the empathy because there's something in what the customer needs that you must acknowledge. You don't have to agree with it. Empathy does not mean I agree with what you want. It means mm-hmm. I do understand that you want it. I do understand why you want it. Yeah. So if you, I, I believe that um, some people are naturally empathetic and that they can express empathy without it costing them much to their sense of right and wrong. And I believe there's lots of other people who are not naturally empathetic and it does cost them something to empathize when they believe the customer is wrong. And the second group needs to just get over it and act empathetic. Mm. Fake is fine. Fake is better than nothing. And I believe it's a teachable skill and that once taught the rewards of being empathetic, whether it's through and through to your core, sincere, or on your surface, the rewards show up and customers are more compliant. Yeah. They're less quarrelsome and they're more compliant if you express empathy, even if it's surface empathy. Now, I don't want people on listening to this podcast go, oh my God, did she just make the case for being fake? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, no, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we can act empathetic as a skill because it's required for customer courtesy. We can do this. Just like we can say to our friends, our our colleagues, back when we were in the office, you come in in the morning on Monday and you say, how was your weekend? Sometimes you don't care. And you still say, how was your weekend? It's a social construct. We we behave this way. So too, we can act with empathy. Mm. No, that's a great point. One of the things that you mentioned um, in that answer was, um, going to the customer and their customer saying your app sucks and you're saying, yes, it does. Are you saying that that is okay to, to say that the company's um, app um, internally is, is not a good app or, you know, do you not say that uh, in the, the organization and you're just thinking it? Well, we don't want the app in the road and the bus going over it. That's not good. <laughs> but let's say we know our app does suck. And that our app regularly kicks, like you're logged in and it regularly kicks you out for some reason. Mm-hmm. This is how, and that, that is terrible. That does suck. So what we say is, I know the app is so glitchy and it does kick you out. So let's say it's an online banking app. So we say, if you're doing a task that's going to take you a while, like you're applying for a loan or something, I really think that you should do it online. I mean, on your desktop, just don't do it. Log in 
at the mm. site. Don't use the app for that. I know it is so frustrating and I want you to know that we are working on it and I wish I could tell you when it would be fixed, but I hear you. It is so frustrating. Here's the workaround. So I'm always thinking of like a teeter totter when we mm -hmm. have to admit that our app sucks or, or we promise delivery of a product and we miss the date by six days. That's a very heavy weighing bad thing that happened. So we have to put, as equal an equal amount of positive feeling into the interaction so that they balance out. Hmm. That's what we need to do. So, <coughs> excuse me, we're going to have to say with empathy, I know you're frustrated. I completely understand. I've heard it from you today and I've heard it from other customers. So we're going to have to keep, you know, keep adding some emotional connection so that the hassle and the our ability to create a connected feeling start to come into balance. Yeah, I, I really enjoy <laughs> that. The whole, I hear you, I understand, I've felt that too. Uh, you're not alone. Um, when I hear that as a consumer, I would feel almost as if, as if you're understanding how, what I'm going through and you're diffusing that situation. So immediately they're kind of putting their guard down a little bit saying, all right, now this is interesting. What what are they going to do next? So, um, I, I love the I love that thought process. Um, and when you go through that, one of the things that you had mentioned, um, you know, going back to a question uh, above, was around um, having everybody pull from the same knowledge base. But is does each customer service representative? have different writing styles on different channels or are they all just going to pull from the the knowledge base that they know we should have different writing styles in different channels yes N not wildly but mm -hmm. certainly for example you know an email is composed in paragraphs you know they needn't be very long but it's composed in paragraphs yep. the chat is not composed in paragraphs unless you cue the customer i'm about to give you a paragraph that shows three steps to updating the app. Hmm. And a uh, uh, chat is composed in brief utterances. Chat has crosstalk in it. It has nonlinear conversation and hmm. email doesn't. Uh, social, of course, uh, Twitter, we have character limits. So, so we're, you know, we're not bringing a paragraph <laughs> or it just won't fit. So. Or it's just four or five or six tweets back right. and back. <laughs> right. It'd be like, please, can we get out of public Twitter <laughs> paragraph? So yes, we, we, we're a little bit more casual in social channels than we are elsewhere, but not mm. maybe not more than chat, but yes, we do need some differences in our writing style. We do. Yes. Mm. So what should... Uh, when it comes to writing style, what words should our customer service representatives avoid? Well, I know you asked me that when we were preparing <laughs> and all I can think of is four letter words yeah. because, you know, just I'll go on record as saying, don't swear at your customers. Right. But it, the reason I can't and don't want to give you an answer to that question mm -hmm. is because I don't think that way about individual words. Sometimes I'll be working with a company and they've been told, for example, um, we never say our product causes this um, health risk. Mm -hmm. So they have decided that for legal reasons or government regulation reasons, the word cause 
the verb cause mm -hmm. is excluded. But in general, what I want to foster is good decision making. So for some companies say, we never, we do not allow our agents to ever use the phrase, no problem in chat, hmm. right? They say, of course, I don't want you to write no problem. Nothing the customer asks for is a problem. But that I don't like that it's too rigid. So yeah. if you're chatting with the customer and the customer says, I need to change the delivery address for my order, will that be a problem? Well, the agent, it should be natural to say, no, of course not. That's no problem. You right. know. So if we forbid no problem, then we're putting a, a bit of falseness to the agent. What do I say instead? The customer just asked me, will that be a problem? And as you probably know, frontline customer service agents, you know, they're, they're kind of in a state of fear mm -hmm. about quality monitoring a lot of times. And if you tell them, don't write no problem, then all their intellectual energy goes to excluding the phrase no problem. Right. We don't have much left over to figure out what else to say. Yeah. What we want them to be mm. doing is figuring out what to say, what to write all the time. Mm. Choose the words. It's your job. Choose the words. So outside of swear words, no <laughs> word bans here. You, you, what, what if they just said no problemo? <laughs> oh, that, letter. That, that letter O makes it much much it's, better yeah I, I just found a solution for everybody's <laughs> right. everybody's messages just Problem add a note solved. to every single yeah <laughs> right. so from from your perspective as a consumer what is the best and worst experiences that you've had um inside customer service well I'm a sucker for um I'm a sucker for agents who companies or agents who are tender, uh, you know, especially if I've had a problem, you know, and I'll call out USAA, my auto insurance company. I, I, I creamed the quarter panel on my car. I hit, um, this is total ignorance. I, <laughs> I hit a brick mailbox and I just absolutely creamed it. And when I called, they were so nice to me that I was, I, I, I just, I had like a little wetness in my eye that turns out yeah. I was like moved. And it made me actually think I would call them back again. And then I realized, no, Leslie, the only time you talk to them is when you've had a wreck. <laughs> so you don't want to talk to them again, you know? And then the opposite is our companies that um, flatline with their help, where mm -hmm. they get to the point where they say, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do to solve this. Because then my... Uh, I'm already frustrated, then my rageometer goes up mm -hmm. into the red zone and I feel unseen. Like mm -hmm. they, they, they literally cannot embody my mm -hmm. question. They, they're not accepting that a person is asking this and it makes me nutty. So mm. um, a company that did that to me, um, I don't, I don't I, you know, not, it's not a good business yeah. practice to call them out. I'll, I'll just leave it that it was software related and yeah. i'm no longer a customer <laughs> there you go. and i think that is what is most important is regardless of who it is the the way that they treated you and the way that they made you feel you have no longer decided to give them business mm -hmm. um so it's um yeah it's it's so important to um look at and kind of gut check yourself as a as an organization as a company and saying 
how are we treating our customers and how are we making them feel? If somebody says, I don't know, immediately you go to worst case scenario. You're not going to say, okay, well, they're still going to fix my problem. It's going to say, okay, now what? Now, now the worst thing is going to be possible. And now I'm frustrated and I'm going to provide them. Uh, I'm going to tell everybody on social. I'm going to tell all of my friends and I'm going to write them a bad review somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and maybe that's not everybody, but um, yeah, it's just from as a, as a customer, as a consumer, as a company, be careful on what you're saying to your to your customers. So uh, the next question I have for you is um, as companies are trying to find efficiencies to do more with less, right? They're, they're trying to push in automation and kind of have this checkbox because that's what they're measured on is, is not necessarily making it a great experience. It's to, to push in automation and have that be, be in before the end of the year. And some companies are doing it right. And, and creating a, a great experiences while other companies are making automation seem very robotic. Um, here's what I can do for you. Here's how I can help, right? It's not, it's very rigid. So when it comes to writing, what are some tips to write automated texts that seem more like it's a human and less robotic? Well, it's a, it's a quandary, isn't it? Because it is robot. It is mm-hmm. a robot, you know? Yeah. So so when we make it seem more human, lots of companies make it make the uh, the the bot, let's say just the bot, um, sound more kooky wacky. You know, it's kind of it's not faux playful, but it's quite playful. Mm-hmm. It's kind of irreverent, and they feel that you know if the bot you know is more playful, then then it will offset the fact that it's not a human person. And, and if the bot is uh, connected to a wonderful, clean, useful knowledge source, then I think that playfulness can be attractive. Yeah. That playful tone, that irreverent tone, if not, is super annoying. Yeah. Just super annoying. So I think with, with any automation, the, the first interactions that the automated written voice has with the human customer, these are imp- somewhat important, but what's most important is the quality of the stored knowledge that that automated uh, voice is mm-hmm. drawing from. Yeah. So, so if you have a bot and, and I'm allowed to me- message you on Facebook with a question and it offers me an answer, I want that, one, that to be a high quality answer. It doesn't really matter the tone or the humanness or the robotness if you're just offering me stale FAQ content. Mm. I don't really care. It's a bad experience. So I want to you know, plant the flag for a good knowledge management behind the bot. And then we can make some quick and easy decisions about how human or non-human the bot sounds. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. The one question I do have for you is, you know, uh, from, uh, you know, let's say that I am an insurance company or I am a healthcare organization and you throw a bot on there you probably don't want it to be as playful um, as if you were from Gerber or you were from Lego. Um, so be careful on who your audience is and how you um, interact with them in, in maybe understanding their personas. Well, the bot should use 
something that's in a voice or a tone that's in line with the brand voice. And this mm -hmm. is, this is the company's brand voice. And this is one of the um, campaigns I've had throughout my career is the, a company's brand voice is usually defined and described by the marketing department and the documents that, that, uh, explain the company's brand voice are usually created by the marketing department because they're the ones who hire ad agencies to create marketing content and they need to be able to tell this outside provider this is how we sound this is what we write this is how mm -hmm. we sound well those brand voice documents need to be in the contact center too mm -hmm. and and that's something that would come up around creating an automated interaction as well is the the bot should that's the example i'm using the mm -hmm. bot should use the brand's voice and so wh who's creating the bot sometimes it is a beautiful partnership between customer care and other departments you know and yep. that and the document that guides how the bot sounds should be that brand voice document yep very clear. I, I appreciate the uh, the clarification on that. Um, so I wrap up every podcast with two questions. Uh, and, and the first question is, uh, what book or person has influenced you the most in the past year? And the second question is, if you could leave a note to all the customer service and all the customer experience professionals, what would it say? Okay. I'm glad. I love these questions. If it's about a book, I'm going to love the question. <laughs> so I'm going to stretch the time frame just a bit. You asked about this past year, and this has been a little longer than the past year. I yep. loved uh, Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor's memoir. It mm. is not written within the last year. I think the publication date was five years ago. The book's called My Beloved World, and I love it, and it has stuck with me, and I have a whole set of Sonia Sotomayor quotes, mm -hmm. but this is the one I'd like to share with you today because I just love this so much. Her quote is, don't mistake politeness for lack of strength. Mm. I love this as a woman, uh, as a woman business owner, as a woman business owner learning from a woman Supreme Court justice. I love it. But I think this is a really resonant statement for frontline customer service workers. Don't mistake politeness for lack of strength. Hmm. They're different. Strength sometimes in customer service work involves telling customers, no, we can't, we won't. And politeness is not in conflict with strength. I just yeah. love that quote. That's great. Mm -hmm. So, um, Leslie, what what's the best way for, for people to get a hold of you? Oh, I got one more to go. Oh, they yeah, yeah, yeah. What Sorry. I want to tell frontline, what, what do I want to tell mm -hmm. customer service workers? Sorry, I, I jumped the gun. Yes, you did. <laughs> yes, you did. Put that, put that, holster that gun. There you go. Yeah. Um, what I want to tell them is you matter more than you know. Mm. You matter way more than you know. And in these times when uh, people's stress and fear are higher, uh, you matter way more than you even know. Because everyone who talks to you is wondering how difficult or easy the interaction can be. And they're inherently hoping the interaction will be easy and it will be kind. And therefore, even in a small short interaction, a chat that lasts 52 seconds, you matter more than you know. Mm. 
That's um, that's a that's a deep uh, deep statement, and I and I love that because um, a lot of times people in customer service, even in customer experience, are not appreciated. They're they're not taking that time to say those exact that 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 quote right there. Um, you matter more than you know, and uh, so I appreciate you you bringing that to the customer service and customer experience professionals. Um, uh, so again, what is the best way for people to get a hold of you? Um, maybe learning more about your LinkedIn learning courses uh, and maybe some of the um, stuff that you do with Emite. Well, I would be glad to be in touch with anyone. And I do take that phone call. So if you call me, that would be fine. My Twitter handle is Leslie O. So you can always follow me there. Um, I do not share pictures of my breakfast. It's, it's a, a Twitter feed with uh, uh, focusing on writing well. Um, please connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm uh, glad to engage with you there, happy to and eager to. Or you can go to my website, which is eWriteOnline.com, and connect with me there either way. Yep. And then with the uh, LinkedIn learn learning courses, maybe they can connect with you on LinkedIn. Um, you got a couple courses that that are available. Um, you want to talk about that for a minute? I'd be glad to. I'm the uh, instructor for six LinkedIn learning courses. And in this year when so many people are out of work, LinkedIn Learning partnered with Microsoft and has made many, many courses free. It will be free through March 2021. Wow. Two of my courses are, are listed amongst the free ones. There's hundreds of free ones. Two of them are mine. One is called Writing in Plain Language, and the other is write, Customer Service Writing through chat and text. And if you want me to show you where those free LinkedIn learning courses are, that would be fine. Just connect with me in any of the ways you've met, I've mentioned, you can message me on LinkedIn and I will share the link so you can find that the free training that I'm offering and that many other people in our uh, customer experience community are offering, including Jeff Toyster, Myra Golden. There's a lot of wonderful free training. That is, that is great. I highly recommend everybody connect with Leslie on LinkedIn and take advantage of those two free courses that um, she is offering. And um, she will help guide you through uh, where those are located because it can be tricky at some time. So Leslie, thank you so much for joining me as a guest. And I look forward to continuing to learning from you on LinkedIn and everywhere else. Thank you so much, Nick, for your conversation and for your courtesy and curiosity. I really do appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Press 1 for Nick. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and share. Until next time, focus on your customers. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.